This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. This is episode two of a three-part series where I sit down with a guest to discuss mental health and you, the follower of Jesus. While each episode can be listened to independently, listening to all three episodes will develop a greater empathy for those who suffer with a psychiatric diagnosis. And it will add more tools to the sufferer's toolbox. Today, I sit down with Ed Welch. Ed has been counseling for over 40 years and has written extensively on the topics of depression, fear, and addictions. What I love most about today's conversation is the tenderness and depth at which Ed discusses psychiatric diagnoses and the follower of Jesus. You'll hear him encourage you to come at mental health from the broader category of, quote, in this world, you will have trouble. And how instances of suffering in the Bible can be applied to mental health. He also speaks directly to the sufferer, encouraging you to ask, what are the good words that you hear from Jesus? What is the passage that is good for your soul as you struggle? Oh, friends, I wish I could describe the beauty, depth, and sincerity of this conversation, but you'll have to listen through to the end. And when you find yourself wanting to listen through a second or maybe third time, then you'll know. This is one of those conversations I'll treasure for some time. Share it and review it if you feel the same. Good morning, Ed, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Thank you, Amber. I'm looking forward to a pleasant conversation about important matters. So thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Me as well. Well, as we dig in, you have been counseling and actually teaching too. Have you been teaching the same amount of time that you've been counseling? I have, yes. But I I don't want to even see my students from the first 10 years because I'm so embarrassed of the things that I've said. But yes, oh. I've been teaching the entire time. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? That's what we were talking earlier a little bit about my 200th episode. And my friend Amy said, yes, um, Amber at 200 episodes is not the same Amber at 25 <laughs> episodes. And I'm like, no, could we go back and delete some of those? <laughs> growth growth in Christ and wisdom is a wonderful thing. It, it truly is. It is. And we won't be the same five, 10 years from now that I we are not. today either. That's right. But um, with that said, you counsel, you teach all about, well, well, you tell us, tell me what are some of the areas of expertise that you practice in? Uh, let's see. Uh, briefly, my graduate work, after, I, after seminary, I did graduate work, and the specialty was the relationship between the brain and behavior. Mm -hmm. uh, and I worked in actually more, more significant brain injury places. I worked in neurology wards for, mm -hmm. for a few years. Uh, from there, I came to CCF, and at CCF, I 
I probably identify my not my preferences, but what I'm most suited for this way. Yeah. I I hope this sounds sounds okay. I, I enjoy counseling. That doesn't yeah. mean that I, I were, I'm speaking about easy matters. I'm I, I'm not, but but I am honored to be able to have people actually come to me and be willing to share their hearts with me and yeah. to know them to to pray for them, to try to understand them, to grapple together. What does growth mm-hmm. look like and how do we do that? So I think I, counseling is most natural to me. I'm also a professor in, in practical theology at a seminary and, and have been teaching courses for the entire time I've been counseling. And that is less natural to me, and, <laughs> but I enjoy it. I, I, enjoy the, I enjoy growing. I enjoy yeah. growing in skills and and there are things that I do as a professor that I probably wouldn't do as a counselor. There are things that I'm forced to read, things that I tend to write that have been, have been, I think, really good for my soul. Well, when I think about anyone teaching practical theology, I'm like, hmm, we need to have a whole conversation just about that. But that is not. Um, well, it kind of is what we're here for today. Yeah, well, the but... conversation is, is, why do I even have to say practical theology? All, all theology should be applied theology. It's yeah. it, it, If it doesn't reach into how we live mm. in the course of the details of life, then somehow somehow we haven't we haven't understood it fully mm. quite yet. Yeah. As we begin to talk about the types of diagnoses, for lack of better words, that you have counseled that people have dealt with and continue to deal with, tell me, how have you seen uh, the way Christians interact, discuss, um, maybe even just talk about with each other? How have you seen that shift over the years when it comes to um, mental illness and you know any diagnosis in that category? Yeah, the benefit, one benefit of getting older is you become a historian without <laughs> having to read books. You just, you just try to remember your life. Um, and, and I have seen changes. Um, perhaps I'd like to see them more quickly, but I have seen mm-hmm. changes. And the changes have come, I think, largely from people who actually have come close to those who have struggled with di- psych- yeah. psychiatric diagnoses. Where there's a difference, you you can if you speak about diagnoses without having a familiarity with them, either by way of your own experience or by way of those that you love, you will say things that that are probably not going to be that helpful. Mm. Uh, even if they're true, they might not be that helpful. But certainly, one of the things that has happened in the last forty years is is a lot of people have had psychiatric diagnoses come very very close to them. And when they come close to you, you you become more compassionate. Mm-hmm. You you care a little bit differently as you bring as you bring insight into what it's like. So in that sense, I think the response to psychiatric diagnoses and people who struggle with them has changed. It is it has become more more sophisticated, more loving, more mm-hmm. understanding. On the other hand, I it's still rare to find psychiatric diagnoses used as an illustration in the sermon, and mm-hmm. and until until those things are spoken of in a pulpit, mm. they they still will remain in the shadows more than we would like. For example, I was at a I was speaking at a conference recently. I thought it went fine. I I I was edified. The way I judge those things, if it was edifying to me, that it was probably edifying to somebody who was there. And <laughs> and so the, the person who invited me, they they were obviously very appreciative of, of what I said. Yeah, it's, you know, it's all very nice. But but what they appreciated was 
something that I didn't even notice. I mentioned in the course of one of my talks that I'd struggled with panic attacks in the past. Mm -hmm. And that is, is what he pointed out as being the most significant thing where he, he said, as soon as you said that, I saw people almost gasp. Mm. Oh, what? You know, somebody in Christian ministry who has some sort of leadership capacity would struggle with mm. these things. I never even knew that. Yeah. It was the first time they even considered the possibility. So, so it is, it is slow. There is a, there is a slow openness in the context of a church. If you're struggling with a psychiatric diagnosis in your church, you're going to speak to people you know are trustworthy friends, because most likely if you go outside mm. of that particular pool, you will hear unhelpful things that all people with chronic suffering will, will hear. You'll hear things by people who don't really understand what it's like, mm. and the comments are going to be unhelpful. So slowly changing indeed, but ways to go. Yeah. Wow. So before I go on to some of the other things I wanted to ask, I guess when it comes to talking about it from a pulpit, is it more some people that's not their personal experience who are teaching, but are there ways that when it comes to teaching, you know, biblical examples that we can call it what it is, even though that's not necessarily the quote unquote words that may be written in the word? You're, you're raising a, a challenge with scripture. Mm. Scripture does not identify psychiatric diagnoses by name. And that, that's right. one of the challenges. How, how does somebody struggling with these things? How do they, where is that door or that crack into scripture where they can see themselves and, and the word of God becomes very lively? Mm -hmm. It's hard because you can't go to a concordance and, and find such things. Uh, so, so in that sense, there's no natural occasion to talk about psychi psychiatric diagnoses in, in the context of an exegetical sermon. Mm -hmm. However, if we understand that psychiatric diagnoses are best sort of sort of brought into scripture under this much broader category of human suffering, mm -hmm. in this world you will have trouble. And in that category, almost every page of scripture speaks about the troubles of life and how do we turn to Christ in the midst of those particular arduous mm. struggles and how do we learn patient endurance and words of hope and on and on then it is everywhere in scripture. So that, that is our entrance. It's that mm. broad entrance. If you find suffering in scripture, then walk in to that suffering. Let me give you an example. Um, Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry to you, mm -hmm. O Lord. It's this angst of soul that, that feels like the person can't go on another minute. They're hanging by their fingernails over the abyss, and they feel like they're going to get swallowed up. I think the the pastorally wise feature, one of the pastorally wise features of that psalm is the psalmist does not identify, you know, by the way, here is my particular suffering. What the mm -hmm. psalmist is doing is the psalmist is intentionally saying, have you ever been able to mm -hmm. call out to the Lord and say, I can't go another second with this. I feel like my soul is going to be swallowed up. I, I am utterly needy and distraught. Yeah. Then Psalm one, Psalmist says, Psalm one thirty is for you. Mm. Yeah, I mean, oh, there there are so many things I could say to that because it's so true that th there's been this um, long term idea that if it's not directly spoken about in the Word, then it must not be. 
we must be able to pray that out of people, or you don't have enough faith, or add whatever to that that you have heard in your own personal life. And so I appreciate that larger umbrella of looking at it as suffering. And I think sometimes that's what we miss is we miss the suffering savior in scripture when we're talking about the sufferer. Yeah, we just want to slap stuff on it. That's our tendency, unless we've gone through somewhat similar suffering. And then then patience and mm-hmm. kindness become mm-hmm. more evident. Those are the two features of love, patience and kindness. Mm. Um, uh, when we haven't gone through it, when we when we don't take the time to really ask the question, help me to understand what is it like for you? Please bring me, you're, mm. you're talking about something that I haven't experienced myself. So could you please bring me into this? That's, that's the way the church is going to become just more adept at praying for and helping people. And it's the way it's going to show up in the pulpits. Mm. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Well, in your newest book, I Have a Psychiatric Diagnosis, What Does the Bible Say? You begin by bridging the divide between the psychological world and the spiritual world. Why do you think people have the divide between the two? And how do you help people begin to bridge that divide? Yeah, I, I guess first, it, we, it's pretty easy, I think, to establish that there is a partition between the two. Mm. I, 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 I'm, I'm thinking that most of the people who listen to, to your program or your podcast, if they're familiar with a psychiatric diagnosis or, or one dis- psychiatric diagnosis describes really something significant in their life, they will notice the partition. You know, that the scripture just doesn't seem to open up to it. Scripture seems to speak about matters that are somewhat unrelated. It speaks to eternity. It speaks to joy when somebody is depressed. Obviously, the idea of joy seems utterly impossible. Amen. Um, yeah, so, so I think that's one of it. It's the psyche, the words don't appear in Scripture. Mm. Um, that's why. That's why. That's why I'm saying that that if they look at this as suffering, which it clearly is. You don't have to know the details of, of what that suffering is. You don't have to know the details of what causes that suffering. Mm. The scripture scripture says it invites all of that into the compassion of Christ. Um, so I, I do think that's probably the main reason. We just simply don't know how to get through that particular partition. We don't know what the words of scripture might be. We haven't we haven't found that doorway. I think there are other reasons as well. There are there are probably more profound theological reasons, 
we have a tendency to distinguish between soul and spirit, mm-hmm. where the the spirit is our 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 hearts before God, our souls are our emotions. Um, mm-hmm. So there does tend to be that that old way of thinking that that doesn't help. So there are some theological reasons that create the partition, but but I, th- I think at least what we have to say is if we have something a trouble that is life dominating and intrusive throughout the day in a way that's a hindrance to life, God has to speak to it. If he doesn't, if he doesn't, ay, 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 what, what good is scripture? If the Lord doesn't speak meaningfully with compassion and hope and understanding to these to the daily struggles of life, you can see how his words just become, they become something for the by and by. They become something for the distant future rather than for today. And and that's not the way scripture is. It is, that's right. it is, it is God's mercy for us today, mm-hmm. today, today. So at least, you know, there is that partition. We all recognize it. And our challenge is, is to say, uh-uh. <laughs> scripture says more than, than I think. God speaks more fully than I think. And I don't know what it is necessarily, but I'm going to find it. I'm going to mm-hmm. listen and I'm going to ask questions of other people until I hear some some kind of sweet, meaningful words that are just suited to the struggle that I have. Mm. Well, and I think um, in addition to scripture is sometimes just that idea, we forget that the spirit of the living God dwells in the believer. And um, that means the sufferer too. I just think sometimes we forget so much about the kingdom of God on earth and what that actually means and what that looks like lived out inside of people who are suffering and people who are not. And how do we, how do we, um, I don't know, combine the two? Yeah, there, there does seem to be a movement from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, certainly suffering was, it, it, it was the occasion, pour your heart out to the Lord. Please mm-hmm. pour your heart out to the Lord. But there is there are ways that we can cherry pick scripture in different in different oh, places yeah. and think our suffering is a result of our own sin. Somehow, somehow we are on God's bad side. You mm-hmm. can you can can find sort of health, wealth, prosperity preaching in scripture if you if you take different right. passages and and don't see the, the 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 clear work of God in the midst of it and his grace even in the old testament. But when we get to the New Testament, it is much more vivid that that suffering is is the way of life, and if you if you are not experiencing hardship, then that's when you think, well, what's wrong with me? Is, <laughs> as, as I look at the the heroes of the faith, as I look at the apostles, I look at Jesus himself. The way of the way of humanity is the way of suffering, hmm. and the way of the Christian is the way where there are going to be hardships. Amber, I think one of the things you're pointing out is. Is when our life is hard and there is suffering, somehow, somehow there is still is still that human instinct. What's wrong with me? Yeah, that that I would experience these things where I look out at other people and their lives seem to be fine. In comparison, we have some sense that not just psychiatric disorders are wrong for us to have, but suffering itself. There's something mm. there's something wrong with us if we experience it. And where does Satan come into these kinds of things? And Satan comes in all kinds of different places, yeah. but but this is a prominent place. Yeah, you're right. You're right. This is 
this is a strange problem you have. And, and look, your your other godly friends, they don't have this particular problem. So there must be something wrong with you. Um, that's that that is that is where Satan's devices mm-hmm. in, engage all suffering and they engage the suffering of psychiatric problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm often um, referencing screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis, because I think it just has such a neat he, he does such a brilliant job of showing how the enemy just slowly picks away at those little things, making you think that it is you, but it's really him doing the picking. Yep. So, yeah, well, tell us, because you write a lot about, and you talked about this a little bit with the physical body, the spiritual body, but you write a lot about how we're embodied souls, like these things aren't different. And so flesh that out for us a little bit and why that really matters when we're talking about people with psychiatric diagnoses. Uh, Amber, our conversation so far, it's already pointing out how we live out of out of a theology. We have theological assumptions. Some of them are in scripture. Some of them we <laughs> think are in scripture, but but they they're not quite as supported. So I, we won't get into the details of this. But here is here is a theology that undergirds a lot of a lot of our conversation. Who are we? We are embodied souls. We are inner person. We are outer person. the The soul is identified in all kinds of ways, just like you have you have all kinds of different words for things you're really interested in, like money. <laughs> you know, here's a, here's a George Washington. Here's a buck. Here's a dollar bill. It's, you know, you have lots of different words for it. Um, uh, for us in the North, you have different words for snow or in the, in the far West, you have different words for snow because you're more familiar with it. So, so scripture speaks soda. about, we've got pop, <laughs> we've got Coke, we've got soda. <laughs> there, that, there you go. There's 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 a southern version of, of it. Right. I, I'm not quite as interested in soda as that, so I don't have all kinds of different <laughs> words for it. So the scripture has a particular interest in our hearts, which is also called our souls, also called our spirit, sometimes called our mind, sometimes called our conscience, sometimes called our inner 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 person. These are mm. all sort of overlapping words, the real you before God who who is capable of knowing God and responding to God and living before him. We are, we are souls indeed, but we are also embodied souls. And, and the body brings a different contribution. The, the body brings certain, it's a compilation of strengths and weaknesses. There are things that can do well. We'll just use vision for an example. Um, Amber, I can see you fairly well, but if my computer was two feet away <laughs> I, I wouldn't know if there was a person there or not. I'd see the movement, but nothing else. Where What, what is it? It's, it's not immoral to have weak eyesight. It's just right. part of our physical bodies. And the organ that we're especially interested in when we talk about psychiatric start struggles is, is the brain itself, which is mm-hmm. certainly, certainly the most complex of the organs of the body. And, and what we're thinking is the brain can be finicky in all kinds yeah. of different ways. And, and I would suggest with some psychiatric disorders, with many psychiatric disorders, the brain is being finicky. Now, that has not been demonstrated conclusively in any of the psychiatric disorders because the brain is so so ridiculously complex to, to be able to say, here is the problem in this part of the brain or in this particular neuron or in this particular neurotransmitter. It's just, that's not the brain work, the way the brain works. It's just this system where everything's affecting everything else. So it's hard to find out the specifics. But when a depressed person says, 
one day they they noticed colors. I'm, I'm thinking about one protect, particular depressed person where there is a yearly cycle to it. And the next day, without any changes in her spiritual well-being, without any changes in her, in her circumstances, she she notices that the colors are gone and the world is now in sort of morose shades of black and white and maybe some some dull blues in there. Yeah. Now that's not the scripture doesn't say one of the ways you can you can see how scripture speaks to the heart. If the scripture calls us to commands it, then it is a matter of the heart. Uh, if the c- scripture calls us to love, then then we love, and and the body cannot keep us from loving, but the body can can make us feel misery, mm. uh, and and it can make the world look like sort of life has been drawn out of it, and it's different shades of black and white. Um, the brain can do peculiar things when it gets a tad finicky. And, and I think one of the one of the places that that we'll end up going in this conversation is that if somebody has a psychiatric disorder or or, or a psychiatric label or description fits them, it's an occasion. Study that person. Study mm-hmm. that person. Study what is life like to them. How does their brain work? And 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 where are places where it seems like the brain is just doing things that are a little, little different than our own particular minds are doing. So that's what we're doing to study somebody, body and soul. That's mm. that's that's our mission when we struggle with these things ourselves and when we hope to care for people who struggle with them. Yeah, well, and that's something that I really appreciated that you talked about as I was reading the chapter on depression, because I'm someone who has depression, and I related so much to what you wrote. I mean, I think most people, obviously, who have experienced depression would, but I was reading it to my husband, too, because he has said, you know, like, I just pray to God, like, she's depressed, and I don't know what to do. And so God help, uh, which is one of the best prayers we can pray, right? God help. But I appreciated that you talked so much about how the body is different than the soul and how, you know, medication is not ne- is not treating the soul, but it's treating the body. It's not the cure per se, but it's just getting you in a place where you can then begin to address some of maybe the spiritual habits that you have that can help. When you, when what, what I call is when I have a depressed, uh, if you want to call it episode months, whatever it may be, I feel like I'm sitting in a room with all of the people who love me most and I'm screaming to the top of my lungs and no one can hear me. Mm-hmm. That's how I describe it. And it doesn't matter what anyone says. It's like, there's a wall there and nothing's getting through. And so will you speak to that a little bit as I feel like the stigma of taking medication is slowly going away, but you still hear some of the, you know, or maybe we who have the diagnosis still believe there's something wrong with me. I don't have enough faith. I'm not praying enough um, when we struggle with this. Yeah, let me let me talk about medication in a moment because you're, you're speaking about something very important. You're in, in some ways you're making an appeal to those who struggle with problems that not everyone in the world experiences them. That's that's the category of a good friend who struggled with um, some kind of muscular pain, mm-hmm. and he he would talk about it at different times, and and he, he had it when he as he as he looks back in his life he had it when he was a boy, and, and I would I would hear him talk about these things, and I would ask him about it, and I would try to understand. 
And I love this man. I love this man, and I really want to understand his world. But one day, we were, we were going out to breakfast, and he, he said that the, in the morning, there was something so frustrating, where he was getting a plastic cup out of a cupboard, mm. and it dropped on the floor, and, and he was undone by it, because it meant that he was going to have to bend down and pick up the cup off the floor. And the sort of the physical, physical struggle of that was it felt like it was a tipping point already for his day. And yeah. at that moment, I, I felt like, now I think I got it. I'd known him for years, but th- that illustration, I felt like I had it at that point. And, and so with that in mind, I, I would appeal to, to those who struggle with things that would be called psychiatric diagnoses. Be patient with us. Please be patient with us. Mm-hmm. And it is one of the first things that the Lord asks of you is, he says, what's Psalm 60, 60, what is it, Psalm 62, 8 or so, Psalm 62, 8, where pour out your heart to me. I, I alluded to it before. Uh, where the Lord knows the things that are on our hearts. He knows them better than we do ourselves. But mm-hmm. somehow in his, in his house, he values us putting it into speech. And, and so if you're struggling, I'm, I'm taking, speaking to, to your listeners, if you're struggling to, to find words for it and ask the Lord for words and write down words. And when you, when you read words in books or on the internet that, where they say, yeah, that's me, copy them uh, and, and read them to your husband, whatever it might be, yes. and allow yes. them to have, oh, that the experience, oh, that's what it's like. That's what yeah. it's like. Let so, people in. Now, going to your, your other comment about medication, I loathe medication, and I have no rational reason for it. I don't like to take aspirin. I don't like to take, I, I, I don't like to take anything, except when I had, I had facial shingles over the oh. summer. It was gro- it, grotesque and, oh, and, it hurts. and painful, and I, I couldn't sleep. And, uh, and then I went to, a, I was going to physicians all the time, and they said, well, why don't you try this particular medication? It will help you sleep. And I basically said, I'll, I'll try anything. I'll try anything. If you want to send an anesthesiologist and, and have them put me in a coma at night, uh, I'll try anything. In other words, you understand what I'm saying. I can, oh, be, cavalier. Absolutely. I can be cavalier about medication until it really, really hurts. And That's right. <laughs> please. And if there is a way to alleviate the suffering, I'd love it if the suffering could be alleviated. Medication is one of the things that that we understand about psychiatric struggles is medication is not a cure-all. It's unfortunately, it helps less often than we would like mm-hmm. it to help. And it can have side effects in some people, but, but for some the medication, it just seems just right where mm-hmm. somehow it, it takes the edge off yes. of the, the physical pain that makes life just a little bit easier. And yep. if we can wisely it, it diminish pain, their own lives or the lives of other people. It's a good thing to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Compassion, compassion, in a sense, demands such things. So physical, physical symptoms can be addressed by medication or exercise mm-hmm. or, or, or both. Or, 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 and there are probably other things that, that, that people have found to be useful. They don't give us more joy in Christ. They don't mm-hmm. make us less prone to sin. It's just not, that's not their competencies. That's right. That's not what they're created to do. They're, they're created to, to potentially help us with physical symptoms. And in this particular era, there are medications for a lot of different psychiatric struggles that do seem to be able to diminish the symptoms. And when the pain is that intense, 
if the if the symptoms can be diminished a little tiny bit, we can be grateful for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm thankful because I think what you said, take the edge off. That's what friends who have come to me because they know that I guess it's been 10 years now. I'm trying to think how old my daughter is. When I first began taking medication for depression, um, and then they've heard so much about my journey since that time, they'll come to me and ask me questions when they feel like they might be experiencing something similar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, medication is never my first reaction, but I've described a few things and then said, you know, it takes the edge off enough to where I feel like an, I can at least order my thoughts in a way that's healthy to move forward. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's the same way with exercise. Like I have to, I I, I just have to do both at this point yeah. in my life. And so I'm grateful for that. Um, you also write about anxiety in the book and, you know, anxiety is something the Bible talks about and we all do experience some level of anxiousness, but when does it move from that place of, okay, this is just quote unquote normal anxiousness to something um, that's maybe unsafe might be the word that I'm looking for or dangerous enough to where you need to do something about it. Uh, let me move into it gradually. I think as we think, when we, when we think of scripture, there, there is a, there is a naturalness in the way it talks about our neediness of soul mm-hmm. and and the anxieties of life are an occasion where we say, help. We say, Lord, help, which is, by the way, that's a bit complicated because if people think our anxieties are sinful, they, they're going to be less prone to say help because they realize they're going to have the anxieties tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And so they're not, their sin is not conquered. And so why, why would they keep going to Jesus? That's a whole mm. other issue, perhaps for another day. But yes. but but the Lord invites us to Himself to hear His compassion and His most beautiful words in the midst of anxiety. He doesn't He doesn't save His most beautiful words for people who are stuck in abject sin. <laughs> he calls them to turn to Him. Um, yeah. So so the first thing is that needy we're needy people, and we say in the midst of our anxieties, whether they're small or overwhelming. We say help early on in the process, and um, when we don't, when we don't know or don't hear the words of Jesus to us in a way that they're good for our souls, what do we do? We ask other people to pray for us. We ask other people for help. How do you find rest in Christ in the midst of anxieties? What, what, what passages tend to be especially good for your own soul? We just—that's who we are. We're people who know that we're needy, mm-hmm. and and if we're crying out to the Lord for Lord help, well, it's easy to do that with other people. <laughs> It's, it's, it's more natural to do it. Can you, can you help me with it? What do you think about this? So, so I'm assuming that, that we're not looking for this line where we finally say, okay, at this more severe point, then we ask for help. Yeah. We ask for help sooner rather, rather than later. Um, uh, we ask for help if the, the connection between our anxiety and the good words of Jesus Christ are getting a little fuzzy. You know, that's, that's the time when we, when we ask for help. But there are other times, certainly, where... Anxiety seems to not be in the background of our life, but it seems to insert itself in life. There, an illustration would be, I, I, I can remember one time I, I was having this um, headaches that, that were in the, back, in, the, in the back of my mind. And they were, when, when I was talking to somebody, when I was doing work, I was focused on other things. But I went to a physician 
when the headaches went from the back of my mind to the front of my mind, mm -hmm. and they, they just began to insert themselves throughout the day. So if I don't know if you would call that a line, Amber, but that at least would be another time we say, I need more help. I need to enlarge the circle of people I'm speaking to. And are there, are there other ways that, that I can find help for this particular struggle? Yeah, well, with anxiety, though, so my question with that is, like, I'm thinking about a particular girl that I is in a small group that I lead. And I mean, it's inserting itself. And so part of it is, I mean, when is it that you need more than what you're doing? I, I don't, you know, I mean, I don't know. I know that's the same exact question. The um, perhaps. When is it perhaps, unsafe? Well, yeah, that's, that's a slightly different question. I was thinking, uh, when is it not, not being over, you know, when is it? Right. You know, it, it, it just keeps going and going. Yeah, when well, it's not just episodic, but it uh, seems like it's taking over. But here's, but we also know that in this life, there will be things that, that won't sort of be closed with a certain kind of satisfaction, kind of healing, yeah. kind of resolution. We anticipate that, that our struggles are going to be a bit more open-ended. Yeah. We anticipate that there, that we are, are liable to struggle sufferings, yeah. sufferings Forever. that are intrusive and, and really, really hard that lead us. Can we get through another another half hour, let alone get through the day, mm -hmm. let through, get through the next week. So, hmm. so see, I, I guess what I'm doing is I'm revising our expectations that, yeah. that, that in this world, you will have trouble. And, yeah. and the, the person in your group, what do we want to do? We want to keep breaking down that partition. What are the good words that you hear from Jesus? Mm -hmm. um, what, you know, what is the passage that is good for your soul? And mm -hmm. basically, basically with anxiety, they're, there are two larger categories. The Lord says, I am with you. And then yeah. rest of our lives can be invested in, well, what does that mean? And how can we grow in that? The other is, is today, not tomorrow. That's today, yeah. your grace, my grace is sufficient for you right now. Not, not for three minutes from now, but actually for, for now. Right now. Those are the two ways that scripture speaks. And, and so how can we land on a particular passage where the person says, I want more of this. I want more of this. Mm. Could you pray that I would have more of this from Jesus? Mm. So at least we are doing that. Um, and we're saying, well, is there other kinds of help? Have you, have you talked to your primary physician about these things? Has, have your primaries of other people made any suggestions? The challenge with fears and anxieties is the medications, um, they're, they're just a little bit more dangerous if they're used long-term. Yeah. And, and there are some some classes that have been used with anxieties that are a bit more addictive, which means that they lose their potency over time, at least. And then it has, you know, withdrawals can be just a little bit irritating. So to, to find medication for anxiety that's relatively safe over a longer period of time is a bit of a challenge. Mm -hmm. But what do you do? You, you, you expand the circle of people who can help. And I would think a primary physician would be one of the places you could go. And he or she might not have too many ideas, but we yeah. ask. No, I do appreciate that though. Thinking of it more as not something you're trying to get rid of as much as what do I need to do to manage my symptoms? And part of that is various spiritual practices, not yeah. as a cure-all as much as, like you said, speaking into what did Jesus say to me in this moment? 
Yeah, we have a we have a particular view. I think in in our culture over the last what seventy five years or so, that the medical community is is a cure. It's, yeah. Uh, and and you don't find that in England and and other other medical communities quite as much. But when we go to a doctor, we expect the doctor to give us something that is going to do something. Um, and you know, oftentimes they will, and that's 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 um that's holding too high opinion of what what mm. um what we know about the human body and the amount of things we can do. So so indeed, we anticipate that that some problems, some struggles. Some psychiatric struggles, they will be chronic, and mm-hmm. and we can many of us can sort of hold our breath if it's just going to be for a sprint. If it's going to be okay, the next right. two days on this, I can I can make it. But ay yeah yeah, it's a very different strategy when when this is something we might be living with. Um, that's where today, you know, the, the the words to anxious people are the same words to all chronic sufferers. God is mm-hmm. with you today grace just just to endure the next minute to consider god's calling for the next minute um so whether so medication we hope medication can can alleviate some of the intrusiveness and some of the suffering but we don't have guarantees that it will in which case what what are the words in revelation it's patient endurance Mm -hmm. that's what he calls his churches churches to in the midst of their suffering that's going to be chronic it's it's not your suffering is going to be gone next week. It's going to be look look to the one who gives patient endurance, patient endurance, and that that is offered to us as really the one of the the great prizes of life in Christ. That that mm. is something we all hope for. Mm. Well, so tell me when we're talking about trauma, how is that one really different in the way that I, I'm thinking more even for the people who love people who've experienced trauma. How do you approach that a little bit differently? Because I mean, I know even for myself, like I had, when I was in fifth grade, my house burned to the ground and I was in the house, we were all safe Mm -hmm. and that, but I mean, that is something I can relate to because for years and years, I mean, if I even saw fire, I would just Mm -hmm. kind of freak out. Um, but that is just the tip of the iceberg when we're talking about trauma and some people who've experienced intense abuse throughout their life and so on and so forth. So speak to that a little. And, and trauma comes in all kinds of different oh, forms. Yes. Trauma is a, in, what unifies trauma, it's some kind of brush with death. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's actual death. We are, right. Our life is in jeopardy. Sometimes it's it's sort of an agent of death. You know, mm-hmm. we were, we're an agent of death, you know, sin and death being sort of accomplices, where it's the abuse of another person. It's the person who has, has sort of brought the ways of death into mm-hmm. our life. Um, yeah, harm. But, yeah, so death is, death is it affects us profoundly, obviously. Um, um, the, the other thing you're saying, Amber, Amber, is that as we get older, there are more events that seem to have long-term repercussions. Because we've gone through more hard things, yeah, uh, from abuse for, to victimization to sexual violence to yeah. to a divorce yeah. to losing a child to mm-hmm. to being betrayed by a friend or you know all, all these things that that can be inserted inserted in our lives that accumulate over time. The, I guess the way we approach trauma is ultimately it's no different than than any other suffering in life. Mm-hmm. Where it reminds us that that we cannot manage our life uh, on our own, we were never intended 
to somehow manage life on our own and, and to trust in ourselves. And trauma is a reminder of that. Where what do we do? We, we say, Jesus help, Jesus help. And we don't know what form his help is going to take. We don't know anything other than, other than to say help. We ask for help from other people. Yeah. How, what do I do? How do I talk to the Lord about these things? And, and, and sometimes people are talking about this, this internal world that seems utterly fractured, the, a body, and, and a body that seems like it has a mind of its own, where it, it, it just reacts as if they're mm -hmm. in war at all times. Yeah. Well, it's, what do we do? We, well, we, we want to break that partition between the severity of our suffering and how does Scripture speak? If we don't know where to start, we just go to the Psalms. And because the Psalms, you know, that the, the anatomy of the soul, everything you want to find in your own human experience, you're going to find the psalmists have been there before. And and if we understand the Psalms, if if we're onto something here, the Psalms are typically the the songs of the divine singer himself. They're the songs mm -hmm. of Jesus. They ultimately speak of the life of Jesus. He sang them before we did. Mm -hmm. And and so when we find a word in the psalm that captures our, our experience, we are brought into, into the very sufferings of Jesus. So we look to break that partition. We want scripture to speak. And, and then our bodies still have a life of their own. What do we do? Help. <laughs> you know, and we, we, we continue to enlarge the circle. That's what a wise person does. Mm. The, the challenge with, with, with trauma and the trauma's effect on the body is there, there there don't tend to be medications that are that can be taken for a long period of time right. that are very helpful. And and the way those who study trauma think about this, um, it it's important for us to sort of deal with the physical consequences of it head on, uh, rather than to try to dull our physical body. We we need yeah. to learn how strategies. how do we live to have strategies to live today in the midst of that. Simple ones such as, okay, today, you know, today is is would be the most common strategy where where our body is off in the in the past or up in the future. It's it's back in the past sort of experiencing the trauma. It's up in yeah. the future, anticipating it happening again. And there it is. No. Okay. No, hold it. Today, today, where am I today? What are the colors that I'm seeing? Who is the person I'm what's this person's name? What are we talking about? Yeah. Um that's Presence. that's a yeah, that's a very basic strategy, but it's a very biblical strategy. Mm -hmm. it's, it's in this present that the Spirit is going to give me grace. Um, and I think people who have walked along with those who've experienced trauma, their their desire is that how can we learn strategies to live wisely in the present? Mm -hmm. That seems to be more their focus than what medication is going yeah. to be the magic bullet that deals with it. That doesn't mean medication might not help for some people. Just You just ask around and make wise decisions on these things. But chances are the way through is going to be this hard spiritual work of what what does practical theology look like in the midst mm. of this particular kind of suffering? Yeah. I mean, I know another really practical strategy for me is just a consistent practice of gratitude, not just, I mean, thanking God every now and then, but a mindfulness of that, like, five senses gratitude where I'm really pausing and looking around. What's something I see, smell, you know, all of that and not just being thankful for it, but actually thanking God for it. You know, the, mm -hmm. the creator, the maker of all of those things. Um, and then I have a friend who she did experience sexual violence. And one of the practices for her would be 
just writing down every single thing that was really in her mind at the time, and then going to scripture that may address some of those things, not specifically, but what you said, the broader umbrella of what does scripture speak to this, and then committing some of that to memory. And those that was something that was really, really helpful for her in dealing with her trauma. And so... What a bold and fearless woman to do such things. Oh, my God. That's But you're right. That's the advanced course of trauma, where if the trauma, especially if the trauma has been at the hands of another person, oh yeah, it, it, it leads to this fracturing of soul. And I, I agree with you. There can be an advantage to putting words on that different fracturing. Mm-hmm. And what we want is we don't want anything in our hearts to be partitioned from Jesus. Mm. Okay, how does he teach? How does he speak? to this. Yes. How does he speak to this? How does he speak to that? We want to we want Jesus to go into all those dark places of, mm. of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as we're closing up here, well, I, I do want to touch on narcissism real quick because you do write in that. And I, that's a whole different um diagnosis for sure. And so for someone who loves someone with narcissism, I mean, what encouragement do you have for them? Because that is a really, really hard, um, it's just hard to do life with those people. I'll be honest. I know. (laughs) Why did I include narcissism? I I suspect it's narcissism in some ways it reminds me of the, of autism, where I can remember when when I was in graduate school and, and after that, autism was a very severe problem where your child would would probably not even be able to live in your own home. Right. They would be mute. Um, they would seem to be, you'd, you would be unable to reach them. They, they would somehow do things that would inflict, pun, in, inflict harm some sort on, of themselves. on themselves. So they needed to be in protective environments. So it was, it was in this very narrow track. Mm-hmm. And what happened over time was, was that that began to expand to, what is it like for this particular person? And and they don't seem to get relationships. And then then it moved to these things called Asperger's. Um, mm-hmm. And now it, it's so it's a much larger spectrum. And I've seen, seen the same thing with narcissism, where narcissism was a very, it, it, it's just, this, it was sort of among scholarly people who thought about Freudianism. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and you see, it, was, it was something you talked about, but you didn't see it very often. But now it, it's like Asperger's. We can see it everywhere. Um mm-hmm. So it's just much more common. I, let me um, see if I can summarize it this way. The, in narcissism, the challenge is the, the, the selfishness is so blatant and seems so utterly wrong. The indifference toward other people and lack of love seems to be so wrong. It calls attention to itself and it just makes you want to tear your hair out. It, it mm-hmm. just, it, it, how can you live with that? And you just want to scream. Um, which obviously never it, it rarely does any good no matter what, but especially doesn't do well here. But let's let's use it this way. A psychiatric struggle is a time where for those who want to who love the person, it's a time for us to know the person better. What the world like for this person. And I would suggest that that narcissists, they certainly can be selfish just like the the, the rest of us. But but in most people, we have some sort of accurate sense of who we are our strengths, our weaknesses, and our sins. We, we, we can usually say, yeah, these are, these are what I see in right. myself. I would suggest that that is not just a spiritual capacity. It is a neurological capacity. 
Some people are able to see those things better than others. I would suggest a narcissist, uh, he or she does not see him or herself accurately. And so as far as I can tell, everything is fine. They're doing everything right. I I can remember a a person who fits this description that that I've been trying to walk along with. We talked about, here's, here's one way in. Let's Here's what we know about ourselves. We are sinners, and it is a really good thing. Sin is not a great thing, but to confess it is a great thing because we mm-hmm. know forgiveness of sin. So let's take time to confess sin. He said, yeah, I, I do need to confess sin. I, I find that my, my sin is I don't confront my wife well enough. Y- yes. The, yes. Yes. And I said, hmm, okay, well, let's... Uh, it's always about somebody else. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but what about you? What about you? And, and, and how can we use it as an occasion? to recognize, okay, the person seems utterly childish. If a child was doing these things, we wouldn't be tearing our hair out quite as much. My grandchildren, every one of them, at some point in their lives, it was my desires are the things that are most important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could never, I never felt like I was able to communicate with them. Well, you, just because you want something doesn't mean you have to get it. <laughs> well, this, but, but I want it. But but Griffey, I want it, but I want it. And like I was never able to crack that nut. Um, but I hope that they would grow out of it, which most of them you know, they still we still have our desires, but we can understand that they can be a, a right. Bit, a bit That's the thing though, they do mostly grow out of it. Right. Narcissists and, do not grow out of it. Right. And so when we think <laughs> when we think of a narcissist, there's a, a kind of childishness that is suited to a an eight-year-old, but it's not suited to a 25-year-old or a 35-year-old or a 45-year-old. Um, but that childness can be a cue. Let's use this as, an, as a way to try to understand what is it like for you? Because I think their indifference is, is oftentimes not necessarily intentional. They're not trying to make the world about themselves. They just don't understand the world of other people. It's another Another person is this black hole. And so they just figure, well, other people are like me. They they think I'm the th- things that are on my mind are the things that are most important. Uh, oh my gosh! So, so how can this be an occasion to know another person and look for other ways to begin to try to move into the person's life? That doesn't answer your question, Amber. But well, it, it's, I know there's no easy answer. Yeah, but it is it's sort of the way uh, a person who loves. It's the way we move into all psychiatric struggles. This is something I don't understand. It's different than my own experience. So I really want to help me to understand what life is like for you. The more we know another person, the better we understand some of their strengths and weaknesses, the more patient we will become. Patience is a form of love. When love, when we begin to love the other person well in the midst of their struggle, that's when we will become, love love tends to be more creative. Anger and frustration, it's just loud. Uh, but 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 I think that but, I'm on the wrong end of that. I, I get more angry and frustrated. But as we know a narcissist a little bit better and recognize some of their handicaps, some of the things mm-hmm. that they're, they're they really simply don't understand about relationships, and as a result, they don't have relationships. So we begin yes. to understand that we become we become more patient. Once patience is sort of snuck in, then love can can move into a creative way to engage and to know the person. So. Okay. That is a tough one. All right. Well, let's close with this. I I would recommend this book for not just people who struggle with the diagnosis, but also people like we were talking about that love them. And so 
I would love to just know, because I, I know that um, New Growth Press is actually doing a whole series of books, you know, for the Christian who struggles in this way. What was your hope for the book when you wrote it? And, you know, what final words do you have for those people who, like me, I live with a diagnosis, but I also love people who have yeah. a diagnosis? Yeah. I think there would be two things that that were in my heart that continue to be in my heart uh, that led to led to this small book. One is for for those who want to help to recognize that when we encounter suffering in another person's life and then we don't understand it, we tend to dole out advice. We tend to act as though we're experts. Well, you tried this. What about this? What about this? And this scripture is exactly what you need uh, to recognize that. When we are encountering suffering in the love person, the person we love, this is an occasion for love to know that person. It's a, it's mm. an occasion for compassion to be aroused. And what we want is, oh, I think now I understand. Is it like this? That's the gold standard for a person who is seeking to love, to be able to describe what the person is experiencing in the way they say, yeah, that's that's what it's like. That's what it's mm. like. So I, I would like... A loved, a loved one to be able to do that. For the person who's in the midst of it, I want them to recognize that that partition between their struggle and scripture can be broken mm -hmm. down and the spirit delights to open to break it down. Sometimes it's hard work to break it down and we need help. And yeah. but, but, it, but on the far side of that partition, there are words that are very particular to you. He speaks to his individual sheep. Uh, he, the individual sheep that is hurt, he speaks to them in particular, and his words are really good. So mm. so I'd like the person who's struggling with it to say, keep knocking on that door and mm. and moving into to God's words in the midst of it. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Ed, for being here today and um, for your wisdom on the matter. Pleasure to be able to speak about really important things with you. Thanks. Ed shared so much wisdom that I know it was hard to take it all in, which is why I said it may take two to three listens before you can fully embrace the beauty and depth of what he shared. Please share and review the podcast and visit graceenoughpodcast.com slash Ed Welch for links, quotes, and resources from today's episode. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time. This episode was brought to you in part by the Better Samaritan Podcast, where Jamie Ayton and Kent Annan discuss everything from simple acts of kindness to complex humanitarian challenges with their guests. Want to learn how to faithfully do good better? Find insights at The Better Samaritan.